Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well-rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step-by-step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours, where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com slash RA to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com slash RA. Or just head to the homepage and click on courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode. Hey, friends and neighbors. You are listening to the Well Rested Podcast, episode number three. Best place to sleep. Getting your environment right. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Lennon. I'm so thrilled you decided to join us here today to learn a little bit more about our sleep and what we can do to really wake up every day feeling well-rested. Do you dread wandering into your bedroom every night? Do you wish you could just live in a hotel room or have a fantastic room like what you might see on TV or celebrities' home? What if I told you that no matter what kind of struggle you've had so far, that you can get the best place to sleep right in your own home? Today I'll be discussing how to make your bedroom that sacred haven for most splendid sleep. Areas to focus on to get that tranquil environment include light, sound, temperature, and activity. We're going to begin with activity. You'll hear me discuss over and over and over again activity throughout this podcast because the best way to have a good night of sleep is to have a good day. And this is because we cannot directly, consciously control our sleep. Because, in fact, we're unconscious. But we can indirectly affect how we sleep by how we live our day when we are awake. That means doing things like having more physical activity, more mental activity, and our thought habits, our social activity, all of these things will influence how we sleep that night. And actually, coming up on episode six, I'll be discussing exercise in a lot more detail as well. Today, however, I'm talking about just what happens in the bedroom. Specifically, our bedroom should be used for sleep and intimacy. The bedroom should not be used for everything else. We don't want to build a habit or automatic association of the bed specifically in the bedroom more generally with wakeful activity. Your mind should instantly switch to sleep mode when you enter that room. That requires that you keep it sacred. Honor the room for its intended purpose. Hint, it's called the bedroom. That means no eating, no aggravating activities in bed like paying bills or doing taxes, no working on a computer, no studying, no social media, no texting, and absolutely no television. Now, of course, there are caveats if you live in a small studio apartment, but in that case, you just you do your best to try to keep those as separated as possible. 
We definitely need to keep the bedroom sacred. The bed is for sleep and for intimacy, and anything else needs to take place outside of the room itself. So be mindful of your activity there in the bedroom. And the second topic, light, is very important as well. And I, I just, I can't nerd out enough about how awesome the science of light is, especially in regards to sleep. But I'm not going to bore you with that right now. In fact, the next two episodes, episodes number four and five, will deal specifically with both the problems that light can cause for your sleep, as well as the great things that light can do to improve your wakefulness. That's just a little foreshadowing of what's coming up soon. But today I'll just focus on the light in your bedroom. Simply, light promotes alertness, and the absence of light allows for rest, relaxation, and sleep. Therefore, we want to minimize the light in the bedroom as much as possible. So again, that means no television. If there's a lot of light coming in through your windows in your room, then curtains are a great idea. Even these light-blocking curtains, especially if there's a lot of neighborhood light where you live. It means closing the door of the bedroom to the hallway in case there are lights on out in the hallway or somewhere else in your home. If you have to get up in the middle of the night for some reason, then having a low-intensity nightlight is important. Of course, we don't want anybody falling, but there are ways to do that safely. In fact, many outlet plug-in nightlights will have a cap or covering that prohibits the light from shining upwards and directs all the light down towards the floor. So the floor is lit so you can protect yourself against falling, but the light is not coming up towards your eyes, which is when it can really be quite alerting. Because we really don't want to overwhelm your eyes and cause excessive alertness following any of this light exposure that can happen in the middle of the night. And of course, it's it's important to be gradually reducing your light exposure as you get closer to bedtime. That's a fantastic habit to build. You want to follow the sun. As the sun sets, so too should the brightness level in your home. You want to soften that transition from wakefulness to sleep by gradually decreasing the amount of light that you're exposed to. The next thing to pay really close attention to is the amount of sound in the bedroom. When it comes to sound, the quieter, the better. So again, this means no television. And you may be saying, well, I, I, I need the noise. I need the noise to, to drown out my bed partner and his or her snoring. Or I need the noise of the TV to drown out my own thoughts, my mind racing. I'll be discussing this over and over and over again, so much that you'll be sick of it. But the key to relieving the burden of the noise of never-ceasing thoughts is not to add more noise. It is to reduce internally that noise with better focus and better attention. We'll focus on that on a different episode. Today we're talking about noise in the bedroom. And noise can really be quite problematic for your sleep. In fact, several studies have shown that compared to a pure tone noise at the exact same volume, the same decibels, that white noise actually causes more problems in our perception and it worsens our emotional responses. And so if you put on a a white noise machine, 
actually more likely to have difficulty with your vision or with your hearing. And on top of that, you're more likely to have negative emotions, negative emotional responses, more likely to associate your bedroom and the bed specifically with negativity. Versus if you're just listening to the exact same volume of noise, but in a a single auditory tone. In fact, this is one of the main reasons that since the 1970s, that noise, including white noise, has been used as the model to induce insomnia. If you want to see what the effects of insomnia are for somebody, then you expose them to a lot of noise, and then they can't sleep. Then you can study the effects of that lack of sleep. And so if we're trying to give somebody insomnia artificially, and the go-to method is noise, even white noise machines, and should make you think twice about having noise in your bedroom, especially from a TV, but even from something like a white noise machine. Studies going back as far as the 1990s have showed that exposure to noise as quiet as 45 decibels of sound can cause problems. That 45 decibels of ambient sound increases the amount of time that we spend awake in the middle of the night. It increases the proportion that we spend in light sleep. It increases the shifting that we have in between different stages of sleep, more discontinuity of sleep, if you will. It decreases the amount of deep quality sleep that we have. It decreases the amount of rapid eye movement sleep that we can achieve. And noise as quiet as 45 decibels decreases our total sleep time. To give you an idea of what 45 decibels is like, a silent library is about 40 decibels. And the noise of a quiet suburban neighborhood with an occasional child playing outside, an occasional vehicle going by, that's about 50 decibels. So 45 decibels is not much noise at all. And exposure to that degree of sound while you're sleeping reduces the amount of sleep you get, and it shifts the quality from deep, high-quality sleep to a lot more of that light sleep, that lower-quality sleep instead. When we expose animals, such as rats, when they're pregnant to ambient noise, about 50 decibels or so, the pups growing in mama rat's belly end up being growth-restricted, that they're smaller, they're, they're They're more poorly developed compared to pups born from moms who were not exposed to that level of noise during pregnancy. Now you may say, okay, well, we're not rats. And so, you know, what what does that really mean? Well, we know that noise exposure, say from traffic in utero for human babies, increases the likelihood that those same children exposed to excess noise while they're growing in mom's belly, will be overweight and obese by eight years of age. There's something about that exposure, chronic exposure to noise, that increases the stress response. And the higher level of certain stress hormones will lead to increased weight gain and increase the likelihood that these individuals will end up being overweight and obese even by mid-childhood. We know that when somebody's insomnia is improved, that they may have a more appropriate reaction, emotional response to sounds related to sleep, like snoring or uh, a, a sound machine or nursery rhymes 
or a running bath. But when these individuals are exposed to those sounds while they're sleeping, they're actually just as likely to still wake up. And even when somebody is effectively cured of their insomnia, you expose them to the same kind of noise during sleep, and they wake up just the same. So it's really important that you keep the bedroom quiet, as quiet as possible. That means turn off the TV, turn off the radio, turn off this podcast. The quieter the room, the better you're going to sleep. Another really important thing to to take control of, to make your bedroom as sleep-friendly as possible, is managing the temperature of the room. Cold is better when it comes to your sleep. I mean, think about your bed itself. On top, there's a, a duvet or comforter. Underneath that, there's a blanket or two. Beneath that, there is a sheet, which is on top of yet another sheet. All of this is on top of this big heat sink of a mattress. And if you're fortunate, then maybe there is another body next to you that's basically 100 degrees. It's really easy to get overheated in a bed. And actually, while we are sleeping, especially as we're getting into that deep sleep at the early portion of the night, our core body temperature actually drops a couple degrees Fahrenheit in this early part of sleep. And so a warmer environment feels even more relatively warm than the same temperature during wakefulness. That means that when you are asleep, 72 degrees feels a lot hotter than 72 degrees when you are awake. When we exercise, our body temperature increases. The internal core body temperature goes up. I mean, that's why they call it burning calories, because it releases heat. And exercise in the evening, especially within four to six hours, especially two hours within bedtime, actually leads to a longer time to fall asleep. Our bodies are are too hot. They can't cool down fast enough. And that higher body temperature makes it harder to fall asleep. On top of that, we end up experiencing more middle-of-the-night awakenings when we've exercised closer to bedtime. And our total amount of sleep ends up being a lot less as well. And to put this in perspective, these are um, among elite healthy athletes that this happens. And so certainly, trying to be mindful of what we do to our own core body temperature as we get closer to bedtime is really important. Colder is better. We know that cooling a bedroom by about one degree Fahrenheit can occur simply by leaving a window or a door open, just from the improved air circulation, compared to if the same door or window was left closed all night long. And that one degree difference from a, a single door or window being open improves the time it takes to fall asleep. It improves the quality of sleep that we experience. And a study demonstrating this was just completed in 2018. We also know that sleeping on a mattress with a high heat capacity, and this is a mattress that has a, a specifically a, a polyurethane high heat capacity layer on top of your standard foam mattress, like a Tempur-Pedic style mattress, that having that, that polyurethane topper, which is a high heat capacity, improves your body temperature drop. It basically sucks the heat from your body into the mattress, which allows your body temperature to drop faster. 
which then leads to improved deep sleep, improved quality of sleep. Now, the mattress didn't change the total amount of sleep people experienced. It didn't change when they fell asleep, but the quality of sleep was better simply by helping our own bodies cool down faster. Temperature affects our sleep quality. So you can improve your heat loss to accelerate that drop in temperature by actually heating up your skin. Now, heating up our skin is actually much different than heating up your your core, such as with exercise. But when we heat up just the surface, just the skin, that leads to greater dilation of the blood vessels near the skin surface. This is how our body eliminates heat. This is why when when somebody gets really hot and sweaty, they kind of look beet red. All those blood vessels near the surface of the skin dilate to release more heat. And so this is easily done with a warm bath or shower, which in and of itself is is, is a great relaxation strategy as you're trying to get ready and and help prepare yourself for sleep. But if you take a, a warm bath or shower and then you intentionally do a pretty poor job of drying off and you just let the water droplets evaporate off the surface of your skin, those evaporating water droplets, that they pull heat with them from your more dilated blood vessels as your body shifts heat from your core to the peripheral blood vessels, to the water on your skin, and then eventually to the air in your environment. So when done within two hours of your intended sleep time, for as little as 10 minutes of a bath or a shower, you can improve your time to fall asleep improve your quality of sleep by getting less light sleep and more deep sleep and improve your efficiency of sleep. Meaning that of all the time that you spend in bed, you spend more of that time actually sleeping and less of that time in bed staying awake. Now there is a commercial and prescription device that does just this in a slightly different manner. It is worn over the forehead and it circulates a a chilled liquid. And this chilled liquid acts just like a heat sink across the forehead. It's the same mechanism as as the Freon in your air conditioning unit. It pulls heat away from your forehead. And this device has been shown to shorten the time it takes to fall asleep. You fall asleep faster. And it increases the amount of sleep you get within that first hour of time in bed. Now, it hasn't really been shown to do much beyond that first hour. And maybe because some people have a hard time sleeping with a big contraption all over their forehead. But it's the act of cooling. It helps them fall asleep faster and and get more sleep there early on. Just like taking a bath or shower within a couple hours before bed. So I hope you found this information helpful as you think about designing your best place to sleep. And think about our activities. Your bed specifically and your bedroom in general is for two things only. Sleep and intimacy. And every other activity needs to take place somewhere else. You've got to think about the environment of the bedroom. Keep it dark. Keep it quiet. Keep it cold. A room temperature right around 65 degrees Fahrenheit has been shown to be as close to an optimal temperature as possible. And doing things like avoiding strenuous exercise in the evenings that may raise your core body temperature helps a lot. And actively heating the surface of your body, of your skin, with a warm bath or shower, and then air drying it helps to pull that heat from your core and cool you down faster, improving 
your sleep timing, and your sleep quality. And avoiding unnecessary exposure to noise and to light, like from a screen, like taking that television out of the bedroom, avoiding using your phone in the bed, dramatically helps to improve the time it takes to fall asleep, the quality of your sleep, and the total amount of sleep you're going to get. So if you want to wake well-rested, be mindful about how you use your bedroom and what the bedroom is like at night. Is it wake-friendly or is it sleep-friendly? And keeping it dark, white, and cool will help it be a lot more sleep-friendly. So be sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes. Leave us a review and head on over to wellrestedmd.com for more information. In the next couple episodes, we'll be talking a lot more in depth about light and its effect on our sleep and on our wakefulness. I hope you tune in then. Thanks for listening.